Greetings in Jesus' name to everyone here this morning. What a privilege we have to worship the Lord of Lords and King of Kings again this morning. Yeah, we're glad for this opportunity to have council meeting, and we're looking forward to public testimony. Now, about five weeks ago, I think it was, <clears throat> we had a message here on repentance, and some of you may have remembered it. It's over here, and I'm sorry, I thought you could see this real good, that yellow chalk was so beautiful, but I sat there, stood there in the back, and I could hardly see it. Can y'all see it over there? I understand. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry about that. I thought it would look great. It, it looks really good three to five feet away. I mean, it's, it's readable. I'm not saying it looks good. It's readable. But I'm sorry about that. And uh, because, um, you know, God wants us to preach all the, the precepts of the Word of God. And there's some that, are, that are, are more skipped over than others. It's not because they aren't critically important because they are. Repentance is critically important. None, none of you, none of us could be a Christian without re, true repentance. But it, was, uh, it is interesting to note and to see what happens in, in, with true repentance. And so the title of the message is Steps of Repentance. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll, get, I'll read it so you can understand. The first point is conviction. The second one is godly sorrow. The third one is confession. The fourth one is forsaking sin. The fifth one is restitution. And the sixth is change of heart. Now, restitution, uh, I will say right here, that's the one that's still a little iffy. Not always does it take a lot of restitution. Sometimes it takes more than we want to confess or acknowledge and do, but it's not always. But if we, the point is, if we, if we re- claim to repent and we skip any of these things except the fifth one, you have not truly repented. You will not come to change of heart. You will not truly have a... This is what it's got to be. Or you will live in chronic sin problems. You'll have chronic sin problems if you don't have a change of heart. That's a given. And, and so, but if you have... If you, of course, the Holy Spirit does convict us whether we feel it or not, okay? Whether we're ready to respond to it and listen. We will be convicted of sin. Praise God. This is a blessing from God. How dreadful would life be if, you, if we lived in sin and we would feel fine? Dreadful. Dreadful. And yet it's amazing how mankind wants to excuse and wants to blame others for their sin. So they live in sin. And, and sin is just like if you're, you that swim, if you can swim, if you put a boat anchor around your neck, that's about like trying to be a Christian with sin in your life. You can try and you'll flail around. You might stay up a minute or two, but sooner or later you're going to go down. That's exactly what happens when we live with sin. Or even excusing out. See, it doesn't mean we're just blatantly, all oh, you people tell me, oh, no, I, I, I love this sin. You're wrong and I'm right uh, because actually repentance is saying God's right and I was wrong. And it happens. That happens to every believer that's been down the pathway of holiness very long that has happened probably and so we need to wake up and remember that repentance is God's privilege for us to maintain fellowship with him it's a, it's a blessing I could say look I created these creatures and they should love me in fact I'll just put in nature to love me and whenever they fall it's on them 
It's on them. They, they don't need a second chance. They should know better. I mean, that's kind of what we think sometimes with our children when we train them. Well, they should know better. Well, the good thing is God wants us to have fellowship with him, and it's only maintained by a, a constant, fervent walk with him, reading his word, following it, cheerfully obeying it. That's, that's number one for sure. But then also when we slip up, or whatever you want to call it, little as, as, uh, as, we, as we try to make it, if we don't respond to conviction of our sin, when we have it, through godliness our confession, forsaking sin, and restitution if needed, have a change of heart, we are living a defeated Christian walk. If that, if that isn't a paradox, it kind of is, but it's what it is. It's a defeated Christian walk. So repentance is a necessity for reconciliation to God. It's flat down a necessity for reconciliation to God. There's no other way for evil for mankind that has the uh, carnal fleshly nature to to be have fellowship and reconciliation with a holy God than through repentance. It's beautiful. It's a privilege. I'm going to tell you, this is a privilege. Now, I spoke. Uh, back then on the middle of April, I spoke on the first two points, and uh, that's all the further I got, and because you didn't want to stay to lunch. And uh, so now we're actually on confession. Now, uh, we'll bring in uh, that, like I already brought in, conviction, the Holy Spirit brings. Sometimes it's through other people. Sometimes through His Holy Spirit. But it don't matter the way, the Holy Spirit brings it. Ultimately, he will bring it. And then, there, then when, a God, when a Christian, true Christian, is convicted of sin, if there's not godly sorrow, something important is missing. Something important is missing. And uh, sometimes I wonder in our society what God thinks when there's very little godly sorrow sometimes for sin. In other words, man needs to realize that our sin separates us from fellowship with God now and will through all eternity. That means a sinner will always go to the place of perdition and hellfire. Got to remember that. One, you know, just when we live that life of sin, then it becomes repeated sin. So there's godly sorrow. Now, that's how far I got. Now we're on confession. And uh, and that is, I'm going to read a definition, a definition for it, and then we'll look at scripture about it. It says, acknowledging God's word and ways is right and declaring himself to have been, ourselves to have been wrong or having done wrong, declaring it to God and others as far as it is known. And what a blessing we have to confess. Now, um, it's one of the hardest things to do for mankind to acknowledge that they're wrong when we like to live like we're always right. Now, I'm not speaking of you, but it's the way you know, we just we just we we just want to do it right. I mean, we want to think we do it. God knows better. Other men know better. Other people know better. And so we might as well wake up and know better, right? Yeah. And so uh, people people you know. We, we're just not that perfect as far as living righteously. Now, I, I praise God we can live 
perfectly, be perfect in Christ Jesus because our sins are beneath the blood by repentance. What a tremendous blessing. So it's a hard thing to do because well, if you knew my circumstance, I tell you, if you knew what they said, if they said that about you, you'd have a bad attitude too. I wonder what God thinks when we're thinking that. Oh, you know, if you'd have went down that street and saw what I did, you'd had trouble with your mind too. You wonder what God's thinking? When, 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 when let me tell you, we'll just work through this. He, he convicts us for good reasons when we have a bad attitudes and we blame other people when we have perverted minds. God knew that in 2018 it would easily be accessible. Nothing is surprising to him. And you know what? It's, it, I just praise God that he convicts us. And so it takes humility to acknowledge our weakness, our little slip-ups, and confess it as sin. Okay? That's what God wants because the more we water it down, the less chance it is that you're going to be victorious in your, in your Christian walk. Jeremiah 3.13 says, Jeremiah 3.13 says, Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against, excuse me, only acknowledge your iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered their ways to the strangers and under every green tree and have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. He just made it simple, okay? You know, they were, Israel was living in sin. They needed to come back. And I actually even put it as kind of a lukewarmness and casual religion. And that's been a problem with Christianity ever since, is lukewarmness and casual religion. And he said, just acknowledge it, okay? He said, acknowledge it. You know, just, you know, come forth and, and just say it for what it is. Only acknowledge our iniquity. First John 1 Verse 9 says, and we hear that this a lot at, uh, at conversion experiences. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, you would think that God would know when he's writing to Christians, he'd say, since you're going to confess your sins, because it's such a privilege, you have to live in sin. You know, he would, he would know, you would think that God would know that we as Christians don't want to live in sin. We don't want to live in our lukewarmness. We don't want to live in our besetting sin. We don't want to live in our slip-ups. But no, for a reason he wrote, if you confess. You know why? There's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. See, the devil don't want us to confess our sins because then we're listening to him. Can you get the picture? We're listening to him. He said, oh, that was just a little thing. Nobody half saw it. But you did. we did it. It was in our heart. We did it. So he says, you know what? There's going to be a battle there. But we as his children, God's children, get the privilege to confess our sins. No wonder it says in Proverbs 28, 13, you should have this verse underlined. If you don't, you should underline it. This is so relevant to American Christendom. It always was. It don't matter if you're in Canada or Asia or 
Africa or wherever. It is relevant. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And I pray, aren't you glad for that? That you can come to God with, with, with all that filth, all them bad attitudes, all them little slip-ups, whatever it is, and, uh, and, and all them allurements, and, and, you know, maybe that idol, that whatever it is it may be. And he's saying, look, if you confess and forsake it, you're going to have God's mercy. You know what? He plainly lets us know that the person that don't do that is going to experience the wrath of God. That's not a good option. That's not a good option. But sometimes we're tempted to choose that because we're not humble enough. There's a lot of humility here. Now, you know, our children are pretty normal sometimes. And let's say they, they ride down a graveled lane and you've trained them to go slow and you've trained them to stay in the tracks where there's not gravels, but all of a sudden, you know, one of your children goes ripping down a lane, down the lane, gets in the gravels and wipes out and just tears himself up. And they come in their ball and there's blood all over the place on their knees and their ankles and, and, the, and elbows and they're, ah, you know, whatever. You can just make the scene as bad as you want or as light as you want. And you say, now this is a serious problem. And that it would be. And there's going to be some long-term effects. And, you know, and he'd say, well, you know, what did you do? Oh, nothing. Nothing bad. Now, you know they're trying to fool you. You know, because you, you know as a parent, you know something happened that was unwise. Of course, you could go look out and see the tracks in the gravels. You know, word and God, we're not all watching, all knowing all the time. And so you get a game plan. Okay, now, son, next time, you know, you're going to have to do what I told you. You know what I mean? You, you're going to have to listen. And if you do that, you know what? You can have a good time riding your bicycle. And it'll go well, and you'll get where you're wanting to go. I'm telling you, friends, it's the same way for us. Confession is important, but if we don't agree with God and say, hey, I'm going to stay in the tracks. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to go in those gravels. I'm going to rip, snort, a heady. I'm not going to go do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. You know what? It'll happen again. You'll wipe out again. And you'll be a mess, and then, see, next thing you know, all of a sudden, you know, you hear, you hear things, well, you know, it's, man, life is so tough. Life, whoa, oh, yes. It's just as tough as you make it. Because following Jesus is, doesn't mean it's easy, but as far as a mess and wipeouts and, and not making it spiritually, friends, that's our choice. Because, praise God, if we're following him wholeheartedly, you know what? You won't have to repent but so often, but you'll need to. I mean, I'm not saying this is eliminated, but it don't have to be a chronic thing. I mean, some people say, oh, yeah, I'm so bad. I, you know, I, if you just knew my life, well, just repent. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying because it, it's a real, this is a significant mammoth procedure spiritually. This will change a person's life Totally. If, uh, uh, and so you, you get that opportunity to confess. Then why is it that there's a phenomenon 
of revival meetings going all week and there's not one confession of sin. I call it a phenomenon. It's sad. Really? As, as God looks down in American Christendom, he say, you know, I have to speak to myself. We're living, I'm living, we're living so perfectly that they, they preach all these good sermons and uh, there's, there, there's no need for confession. Where and how much, okay? James 5, 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. There is not spiritual healing after, after sin unless the sin is confessed. There will not be spiritual healing. It's the law of God. Confess your faults one to another. Now, why didn't it say confess your faults to God? Because that's where it starts, but that isn't where it stops. That's why. You know, it's, it, 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 I'm not saying it's easy, but it's one thing for a person to slip up and say, Oh, God, help me. You know, I, I need your help. That's not true repentance, okay? That is not true repentance. There isn't enough godly sorrow, confession, and, and it, 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 it takes way more than that. When, when true repentance happens, it always includes humble confession. Uh, it is a sad day when, when someone has to extract a confession from God's people for sin. It's a sad day. It's a sad day. You know, I think if we would see as, as God's people the enormity of sin and how it violates the character and fellowship with God, I think we'd cringe and want to confess. See it as a privilege. And uh, so we should confess as far as the effects. Now some, uh, I'm not saying every sin needs to be confessed before the brotherhood. But may I tell you one thing? or encourage you to think of one thing. If, when you're struggling with a sin problem, which we do, can I just add, which we do at times, and we say, okay, brothers, I've heard people say in the, brother, uh, in the Sunday school class among the brethren, or even in the church, wherever it needs to be, or you feel spirit-led, I'm struggling, please pray for me. You know what? You've just got God hearing dozens of people praying for you for strength, for victory. Friends, if prayer changes things, we believe it, right? We need to tap into it. Because God really moves in a heart that is humble enough to confess it before men. There's a degree of humility there that God is moved by. See, he's not moved by pride. In fact, he said he resists the proud. And it's so easy... Not easy, but it's easier just to confess in your closet to God and say, I've got it fixed. I've got it done. See, when you make a confession, be clear and plain about it, okay? It should not be an ambiguous thing that I'm struggling a little bit. Be clear and plain. I'm telling you, friends, when we don't confess it before God and acknowledge it before man when we should, and let me tell you, Bad attitudes, and so in discord, is a sin that should be confessed before the brotherhood. It has damaged the brother, the body. Just want to let you know there are certain things that really, sh- moral issues, should be confessed before the body. Uh, it says that, and 
If we don't, we have set the premise for chronic sin. If we don't acknowledge before God and man when we should, you have set the premise in your life for chronic defeat. Okay? So this is serious. I'm just telling you. We need to, uh, we need to acknowledge this. And we need to do it when, when needed. Okay, let's go to the next point. Confession. The first one was confession. The next one is forsaking sin. That is, of course it makes sense, that is... Uh, a turning away from sin and developing a godly hate and abhorrence for anything that mars my or our relationship with a loving, holy Father. By the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit having victory over temptation and sin, making no provision for the flesh. Oh, I love that phrase, don't you? Well, it just rings of victory. No provision for the flesh in 2018? Amen. Amen. Let me tell you, friends, some of, have, some of us would have to change our ways dramatically. Renouncing all that is contrary to the very nature of God. It sounds kind of strong, doesn't it? Were they wrong in their definition? I don't think so. I think they're right on the money. No wonder Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, let the person that has sin in their life forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. It is difficult for a person that professes to be a Christian to acknowledge that they're wicked. Anyone that is living in sin is a wicked person. And that can be me. That can be you. And he's saying that the wicked forsake his way, forsaking sin. Romans, New Testament, 6, 1, 2, and 12 says... What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies that ye should obey the lust thereof. Friends, that's forsaking sin. Dead to sin. I don't want to overstate this. I think, it is, I think it is totally possible to be tempted in quotes of a sinful thing. You know, just, just what tempts you. You know, too much food, things of the eye, whatever. You know, be tempted. And, and, and your, and your very core of your holy nature, because that's what God gives you, you don't even want to do it. Is that possible? I absolutely think so. If it wasn't, God, this life would be terrible. I'll read you how it is for the person that doesn't forsake sin. Romans 7, verses 10 to 14. I'm going to read in another version because the King James, the wording there is very hard to decipher what all it's talking about, okay? So I have another version here. Romans 7, and you know that's the defeated Christian walk. That is not where God wants us to live in Romans 8 where the Holy Spirit is leading. But Romans 7 is, you know, I know I should do this, but I always end up doing this and this and this. Oh, American Christendom at its worst. American, you know, sometimes it's the way 
We won't, but we don't want to do that. Romans 7, verses 10 to 14 says, And as it turned out, the very commandment, which was to bring me life, brought me death. For sin seized the advantage, and by means of the commandments of God, of course, it completely deceived me and put me to death, so that the law itself is holy, and the commandment is holy, just, and good. Of course, we know the commandments of God that way, but it goes on. Did then a thing which is good become death to me? No, indeed, but sin did. Jesus don't bring death. Sin brings death. We've got to remember that. So that through its bringing, its being about death by means of what is good, it might be seen in its true light as sin in order that by means of the commandment, the unspeakable sinfulness of sin might be plainly shown. For we know that the law is a uh, this verse 14 is a spiritual thing, but I am unspiritual, the slave bought and sold of sin. That is not a Christian. That is not a description of a Christian. If it is, it's one that needs to start right up front with conviction and do the whole loop, okay? He said, okay, basically said the law brings conviction. You know we, we know we should be holy. We know we need to be kind and loving. We know we need to be pure in mind. We know we need to love our neighbor. We know we're not supposed to speak anything but edifying about people. We know that. It brings a uniformity among us because we all obey the laws of God. By and he said, you know what? That exposed my sin. Uh-oh. So you can't gossip about a person without feeling bad? That's true. A Christian that gossips or maligns his brother or someone else, if they don't have conviction, something is bad wrong. Praise God, we, we get the privilege of being, you're smitten. Oh, you got, you, all of a sudden something happened, you just flew off the handle. You know what I mean? Oh, just, oh, just, you, just one time. I know this didn't happen very often, don't happen very often, but you know, but you just did it. You just blew up. And something said that wasn't right. That was the Holy Spirit. Now he didn't go knock you over the head and say, do you, Claire, do you hear me? No. He speaks in a nice, gentle way. But he means business still. He means business still. He said, you know, back there a couple weeks ago, you know, I just worked like crazy. I neglected my family. I didn't read my Bible. And what did I do? I put other things first. I put other things first. Does he ever speak to us about that anymore? Or has materialism got so bad we never think about it? He wants us to think about it. It's conviction. And he said, look, that, his commandments, his standard, is life when we obey it. And we need to remember that when we fail that, he wants us to know that sin is exceedingly sinful. Can I say that and get by with it? It's what the Bible says, okay? If we would see it that way, it would really help us. Yes, forsaking sin. See, if we would see sin that way, it would make a lot of difference. Now, they forsake sin, okay? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11, New King James Version. For observe this very thing that he, you sorrowed in a godly manner, 
They sorrowed in a godly manner. They weren't sorry they got caught. They were sorry that they marred their fellowship with God. Okay? That's the world difference. You know, so many times, you know, and I felt that way when I was a little boy, and I, I've noticed that in other, my, our children. Boy, they're so sorry they got caught. You could tell they would just loved it if they wouldn't have got caught. Well, that's how a person lives in sin. See? They, this person here, they saw it in a godly manner. They're sorry, they're remorseful for their sin. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, you was willing to confess it in contrition, what indignation for the sin, what fear, what reverence for God, what vehement desire to be pleasing to God, what zeal... I'm sorry, it, excuse me. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourself, what indignation, what fear, what behemoth desire, what zeal, what vindication. It's the only way to be staying clear before God is to have godly sorrow and acknowledge it, forsake it. Have indignation about your sin. Indignation about sin. Then it goes on to say, in all things, you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. I don't know if you've ever looked down that list, but if, if we really walk that pathway and we hate sin, see what indignation against sin, what reverence for God, what vehement, what vehement desire to be faithful to God. Now that isn't some strange, radical uh, Christian out here. That's what God wants in our hearts as repentant sinners. As his saints, and his, as his beloved sheep that care about following him, of a vehement desire to be true to him, yes, then we can have clearing in this matter. I tell you, friends, that's forsaking sin. It's more than just asking for forgiveness, but it's hating and abhorring sin. And I know I need a double dose of that. Friends, I'll tell you, that'll keep you out of the gray area. Uh, hating and abhorring sin. For us, okay, for uh, for a person to stay away from sin, they can't love it and want it in their very heart. They can't. That will never work. See, you can say, okay, I'm going to build a fence between me and the slop pile. But you know, a pig will go for it. I mean, they'll 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 water on it. They'll get there. They'll dig a hole and they'll go there. Now, you know what? Now, if you give a pig, if you transformed his heart and he started like some decent food, you know what? You can take down the fence, and they wouldn't even go to the slop. You know what? Every time that a Christian wants to enjoy sin, it's just like, this is so gross I can hardly say it, but I'm going to just tell you, when I was a boy, my, my parents had a slop bucket. Do you know what, do you know what a slop bucket is? Okay, it's, it is It is nasty. I'll just say it mildly. It's nasty. Because I had to go take a thing out <laughs> about every Saturday and get rid of it. You know, and you're so glad when the lid was on, but you had to take off the lid to get rid of it. And uh, mm. and it's just about like putting uh, maple syrup on the top of the slop bucket and suck a, putting a straw in there and say, oh, this is great. You know what you're going to get? Because you think it looks good and smells good. Maple syrup looks good and smells good. You're going to get slop and you'll get so sick. Isn't even right. That's exactly what the devil does. He puts maple syrup on slop and says, just enjoy it. 
we sometimes do it. That's how gross it is. My, I'm sure it's worse than that. I'm just trying to think of something kind of in the right ballpark here. So, here we are. Now, if we say, look, that, that's, I abhor that sin. Listen to the psalmist. Psalms 119, 163. I hate and abhor lying, but thy love, but thy law do I love. Psalms 97, 10 to 12 says, Yea, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Do you think when God looks down and sees my life and yours, he sees a person that hates evil? Every evil? I wonder. That challenges me. Friends, you're going to have to do these steps of repentance real often if you don't. Because you can love God with all your heart. But as long as you're two-timing it with God, with, with Israel did that a lot. You know, this king loved the Lord. I read that, and, and, but they would keep the groves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a little grove over there. And that's what my pleasure's at. That's where my heart's at sometimes, you know. Hate evil. He preserves the souls of the saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Psalms 101, verse 3. I have will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the works of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Is that true? Is that our heart today? He says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Friends, we all have devices. Most of us do. That the wrong place is very wicked. Correct? And if it's turned off, it's pretty safe. And if it's turned on, the opportunity is already there. And you know what? It goes where the heart of the operator wants it to go. He said, a person that hates is going to forsake sin. I will set no wicked thing before me. I won't even go there. I won't go there. He goes on to even say, uh, a few psalms later, one Psalm uh, 119.04, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And I tell you, friends, there's a lot of false ways beckoning. And one of them is that you don't need to repent for your sin. That's a new thing kind of coming up. You don't need to repent. You know, you know, just, oh, you know, I'm going to try to do a little better. And that we need to try. Friends, praise God, we don't do just a little better. If we go this cycle here and we end up with a changed heart, friends, you'll do a lot better. Praise God. It's because of his grace and because we let him work his will in our life that we can have a change of heart. And where that next time that sin tempts us, guess what? We're not sitting there wanting to do it. We're abhorring it. Friends, that isn't a radical Christian. That is a true, sold-out child of God. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. What a blessing. Sometimes we see our weakness and we get so tired of failing that we feel like Job when he said in Job 42.6, Therefore, I abhor myself. Have you ever thought that? 
I have. I get so tired of this. Have you ever actually faced up to your besetting sin? Not that you have one, but you know, I've had some in the past. And I got sick of falling. I get, and uh, I pour myself. Stop there. You can hate yourself all you want. It won't bring you to repentance. He says, and repent in dust and ashes. Even Job knew what it took. Old Testament saint. He knew what it took. And Job was reproved, approved, and Job was approved because of humility, of his humility, and his friends were not. There was a world of difference between him and his friends. Hating sin is a fundamental attitude that keeps a person from chronic failure. Oh, don't you just hate when you you know you just got this weakness? Uh, the scripture talks about in Corinthians about strongholds. Okay, the devil has a stronghold. He does that sometimes. Do you know, I think you know this, but we still need to hear this, that pornography is a, just as addicting as drinking and smoking, they claim. Yeah. I'm talking about strongholds, okay? Now, some of us know, and we know, we all know, you know, I wouldn't drink, well, I wouldn't smoke for the life of me, but... Hating sin is a fundamental attitude that keeps a person from spiritual failure. I tell you, God did never made the mess that we get ourselves in. God, you know, why'd you allow this mess I'm in? Well, He may have allowed it, but we got it in the mess. God never got us into a big mess. We have. And uh, because, you know what? We made bad choices. We responded wrong. You know? And so I've heard people say, well, my life's so much of a mess, it's hopeless. Praise God, it's not. If you're this morning, oh, if you just knew what I was in, oh, you'd know I'm hope. You're not hopeless. As long as the Holy Spirit's convicting you, there's a lot of hope. Then you can repent. What a, what a tremendous blessing. You know, we can, we can repent of our sin, and we can repent of our... And I know the more you sin, the easier it is to sin in other areas. It can be isolated to one area. A person can, we can go to Sunday morning. He can teach Sunday school. He can preach. He can have devotions. He can lead songs, whatever, and he looks so good. And you know what? He can be living in sin. He can have the bad, worst attitude. He can be living in bitterness. Oh, man. He can, all kinds of things can be going on. And God cares about that. It's all sin. I know of a young man one time that didn't like certain things. And one thing he didn't like was spring onions. Now, I don't know if you know what that means. That's just those potent things that, that, you, that you eat. That just uh, If you like them, wonderful. If you don't, they're repulsive, okay? <laughs> and he, he just hated spring onions because they, they, uh, they affected his digestive tract, okay? And plus, they made him person smell so bad that wasn't hardly tolerable. And... Uh, he hated onions, okay? He hated and abhorred spring onions. You could sprinkle a few in a salad, and he, he could, yeah, you, could smell it you could smell it before you taste it. You know what I mean? And you, you couldn't disguise spring onions in any way, shape, or form. You couldn't put enough sugar or fry them in enough uh, 
garlic or whatever, butter. Mm, that helps most anything. And uh, to make them taste good, they were repulsive to him. You know why? Because he goes down his stomach and he's, and it made him feel bad. And he'd, uh, how about if us as Christians hated sin like that man, these abhorred spring onions? You know what? We would have a wonderful, victorious Christian life. Exactly what God wants for you. Exactly what God wants for everyone. What a privilege that we can have. And I tell you, friends, that when we truly repent, if we don't have it naturally, pray for it, okay? God, help me to hate my sin. Because if we don't, it will be much easier to fall back in it. And God don't want it. From our hearts, we don't want it. And God don't want us to have, be that way. Restitution. It's to pay back, restore, compensate, to build back what has been torn down. And that happens more than you think. Many a sin makes you lukewarm, even if they didn't know anything about it. And that affects the body. Actually, I've heard other people, you hear this comment, and I know it's not true. Every, you know, why are you doing that? Well, everybody's doing it. That means there's a few doing it that shouldn't be doing it. In other words, my lukewarmness could bring lukewarmness in my brother. Is that a problem? I think it is a big problem. You know what I mean? In other words, if, if we are those that are living with godly sorrow, confession of sin, forsaking sin, you know, we won't be a bad example then. No, we'll be a blessed example. Uh, Exodus 22, 1 and 5 says, Exodus 22, 1 and 5 says, If a man steals an ox or sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen or an ox and, and four sheep for a sheep. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution for the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. Also, verses 7 and 9, the same passage speaks of the same thing. In other words, there needs to be restitution when things happen. So when we, when we take something away from our brother, and sometimes we mar the reputation. We can't mar their character, but we can mar the reputation. Yes, New Testament example was in Luke 9, 19, 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. He was going back to the laws of God. Yes, we need to confess before God. We need to ask him for forgiveness of sins, and we need to ask him if we need to make restitution in any way. Because too many times we have made a struggle for our brothers and sisters in the Lord when we say we're sorry about something and you know you have cut them to the heart. Do you know what I mean? I know it was actually, you didn't mean it to be cutting. I know that. I've been here, okay? You You didn't mean, it didn't mean it to come out that way, but they took it that way. And they were just, they were just, uh, well, nowadays we uh, we'll get these drama queens and they, drama men too, by the way, and they uh, everything is so painful and just so terrible because we're so self-centered. If we say anything about anything, you know, if it's just close home, it's just so touchy that all of a sudden, you know, you've affected them permanently, and that's a bad reaction. I'll tell you that. But still, I have a responsibility. If that is true, even if they're 
off the deep end. We always got an excuse, you know. I'm just giving you an excuse already. But it comes back home. If I have offended my brother, I need to go to him and say, I am sorry. And if you did that in front of a group of people, you need to tell that group. So let's just humble ourselves and say it before the brotherhood. Confess your faults one to another, it says. Not just in some private corner trying to act like, you know, it's so humiliating. Sin is humiliating. It really is. In fact, the only ones that are going to make it to heaven are those that live a humble walk. And being honest before God and man isn't that terrible hard if you're humble, if we're humble. Restitution. Be humble before God. Now let's go to change a heart. Because this is the beauty of it all. Because if you don't wind up having to change a heart, everything else before it didn't make any difference, okay? And, and that's the thing that see, doesn't seem to be happening. But praise God, if you forsake sin and hate sin, dear friends, you're going to be getting a change of heart. That's what's beautiful. That's God's work. To imagine that you, that you could be enjoying doing this thing, feeding this gratification, carnal gratification, you be doing that, and you can wind up after you repent of hating it. That's friends, that's a change of heart. That's what God wants in every one of us. That happens at our initial repentance, and it, it should happen when we're falling into chronic sin, and if we're doing it, it becomes our besetting sin. We need truly a change of heart. And we when that happens, we go from an enemy of God to the friend of God. From pleasure in sin to a lover of righteousness. Our focus will change from the desire for temporal or sensual things, earthly things, to eternal, a desire for spiritual and eternal things first. That's beautiful. That's, that is the crux of a fulfilled life. It's right there. Right there. And God wants it. Praise God, we can have it. All of us can have it. It is submitting to God. It has new goals, new desires to know God better. His word, we love his word, and we love to obey and please him. In other words, repentance is a total change of heart in that one area. Now, when we come to Jesus uh, of repentance initially, it's a change of heart in all areas, but it, it can be just one little area. In other words, Lord, I... I I agree with what you're saying. Okay, if he's speaking to you and said, Claire, you shouldn't be doing that. You thought it was okay. You may have thought it was okay. But he still touches you and says, you know, that's not good. You're going down a, 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 a pathway that's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And he speaks to you. And he's saying, yes, God, you're right. I am sorry for that. It's doing a 180. Lord, I want to, I want to change, totally change. And you'll love this word. Almost every time that a person struggles with reading the Word of God and loving it and reading on a regular basis like they should, there is some sin problem in their life. Write it down and read it. It's true. Sin flat down 
keeps you from the Word of God. Even compromise does, okay? It's just the truth. And I, I, God wants, I've got, I've got to think of what he said. I'm always positive because I can tell you negative and it's just so blunt. Uh, God wants you to have strength and victory for every temptation you have, and you will not have that without being bathed in the Word on a regular basis. Amen? That's very true, friends. We don't get that down when I'm in the first base on our Christian walk. God wants that. No wonder the uh, Job even said, I'm, I'm working, Job is such an interesting book. You read it and it gets so, so what in the world? They, they go at each other and you know, they say all these unkind remarks. That's his three miserable friends. And then all of a sudden Job will come in and he said, you know what? I love his words more than my necessary food. Is that the way you feel before you eat breakfast? I told a man not long ago, he was struggling, chronic struggles. Just I felt so sorry for him. I told him, sir, and he said, you know, he, they, in that home they eat, it's a little bit chaotic. And he said, they eat whenever. I said, you, you would do yourself a huge favor before you ever took the first bite of breakfast if you made sure that you read the Word of God. Amen? That's a fact. Same for me. And the same for you. And the same for you. We take it so glibly. See, we want this change of heart. We need it. We want it. Praise God we can have it. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2 and 6. And so, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters of, to Damascus, to the synagogues, if he that if he found any in the way, whether there be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. We know what happened. He got struck down. In verse 6, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You know what? A change of heart says that. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Ephesians 4. 22 to 24 says that if you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of the mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness and true holiness. This is a change of heart. This person before they enjoyed sin they covered up sin. They, they were deceived by sin because they thought it was enjoyable when actually sin is damning. It brings the wrath of God. They were deceived by sin. They didn't see sin as exceedingly sinful. But he said, you don't have to be that. That's the former way in the corruption. When you lived in corruption of your former life. But now where you're renewed... In mind and heart, the new man which loves righteousness and you don't love righteousness any more than you hate sin. You can love righteousness to death and if you still love sin, guess what? You're not righteous. See, see, they're in direct. You can put them in the balance. And they're direct proportion. If you hate sin and love God and hate sin, that's a new heart. That's a change of heart that God wants. Also, it's also brought up very clearly in Colossians 3, verses 10 to 14. I will not read it. 
but it says it there again, the same thing. The results of a humble life that is willing to repent when needed. Matthew 3, verses 8 to 10 says, Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Is that what God sees in my life? He wants to see fruits that are coming out because we've repented. There is fruits in everyone's life when they don't repent. And it's not worthy of repentance, so it's need for repentance. He wants to see fruits are worthy for repentance. Worthy of fruits of a repentant life. I think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to rise up children unto Abraham. But now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bring, bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So it doesn't matter your last name. It doesn't matter about your pedigree. It don't even matter your natural talents. He said, if you're not following me, if you're not living a repentant life, let the Holy Spirit lay the axe to the root. Sin always has a root problem. Sometimes there's little dandelions up here and we pick on dandelions sometimes. We don't like to because we don't always know the heart God does. But he says, look, you know what? If I truly want a changed heart to, to love God and glorify God, I will love this process. I will love that process because that's the only way to have it. In other words, you don't get the change of heart if we're having any sin problems without conviction, Godly sorrow, confession, forsaking sin, restitution when necessary. Then we have the new heart within us. What a blessing that we can have victory. Yes, if we truly repent and we will live a life of service and joy to God. We will live a life that is much victory. No wonder it says in Titus 2 verse 14 says, He who gave himself Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He redeems you. You know what that means? To ransom. He's paid the ransom to set you free from living in sin. The first question on your counsel card today will be, do you have peace with God? You can have it. No other peace with God than having your sins beneath the blood of Jesus. All of them. What a privilege. What a blessing. No wonder it says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's still the call today. For anyone that is lost, anyone that has sin in their life, he said, come to repentance. And guess what? You can maintain and regain your fellowship with God only through repentance. What a wonderful God we have. That he wants to have fellowship with you so much that he had Jesus to die. And if you're willing 
truly repent, you can live in fellowship and harmony with God Almighty. A life worth living. So bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you how you loved us. We thank you. You made such a beautiful plan for us to be redeemed back to you. And Lord, we acknowledge that, Lord, we struggle with temptations. And we struggle with allurements. And Lord, we just thank you that you've made provision for forgiveness of sins. Oh God, we just praise your name that you uh, want us to have victory. You want us to have strength to overcome. You don't want us to be Christians that are floundering, failing your grace. Thank you that you call us back as your sheep. Even if, if we are or we're wayward, you call us back to your fold. Thank you for each one's here this morning, Lord. I pray that each one of us will love you and want to walk circumspectly before you. Thank you for this time of sharing our hearts this morning in public testimony. Lord, I pray that we'll be honest. I thank you that that you're such a loving God and that we can be part of a loving brotherhood that cares, that cares about fellowship, that cares about living holy lives, that cares about being faithful, Because, Lord, it's the only way that we can meet you in peace. But, Lord, thank you that you want us to have that peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.